Dorothy, Jace, just to get things started, I would love to hear about what kind of music you listened to when you were growing up. Oh, listening to. Well, I li- listened to uh, a lot of prog music and a lot of jazz. Just uh, I like I like kind of strange music. Probably one of my favorite groups was uh, the Cocteau Twins. I like that just oh, that yeah. unusual stuff. Yeah, you know, most most of that, but uh, a lot of Mingus. Definitely a lot of Mingus yeah. for you. Yeah. Yeah. And what about for you, me? I do a lot of like Kareem Bailey Ray. I mean, I I think she's just incredible. And of course, old school is always good, like your Chaka Khans and your Whitney Houston's. You know, those are some Barry good go-to. Oh, yes. Yeah. I love Barry White. Barry White can do no wrong for me. <laughs> <laughs> Not with a voice like that anyway. This is Musicians Can Thrive. A podcast community for anyone seeking to make money in the music industry. Musicians, audio engineers, managers, producers, booking agents, everyone across all niches. Welcome. My name is Gabrielle. I'm a singer-songwriter. These stories are for you. I hope they'll help you find new ways to thrive as a musician. Dorothy and Jay Seavers are just about the coolest 58-year-olds out there. Their blend of funky jazz music and lyrics that sometimes feel like a vaudeville throwback demands nothing less than one hell of a show to back it up. Don't believe me? After you're done listening to this episode, go check out one of their music videos. I'll even serve up the link for you in the show notes. This is the kind of music that shines brightest on a stage, or at the very least, in a creative music video like the ones you'll enjoy with Meet the Seavers. That said, their music is enjoyable offstage, too. It might be a little avant-garde, but the music and the melodies, they sound good. I started playing, I was about 18, and I had like these really huge hands, really long fingers. And there's a guy in my my community, and he said, hey, um, you know, with those big hands, you should either play bass or piano. And I wasn't really interested in piano, but he showed me what the bass looked like. And I was like, yeah, that looks like a pretty cool instrument. So I started playing that for about a year. And then I moved to Chicago and I moved to a 500 member Christian commune in Chicago. (laughs) I've had a weird life. And then I started playing bass in their 40 piece black gospel choir. And then I started my own groups and stuff. And done a lot of, you know, like a lot of people, I've done a lot of different stuff. I did a jazz poetry thing for a, a couple of years and then uh, finally migrated to upright bass and didn't really, wasn't really interested in a lot of the music I heard. So I just kind of just started writing stuff that I liked. So that's kind of how I started. And when you went to that Christian commune, was that starting as a job to play in their band? No, uh, it was a... This long storied history um, it was a 500 member commune, Christian commune. So it was more uh, of a personal choice. Yeah, it was. It was definitely a lifestyle thing. We kind of did uh, a lot of social stuff. It was kind of like a Mother Teresa type of thing in the inner city of Chicago. Where okay. We fed about 250 people a day and had, but they also had a lot of other things. They had a uh, 
It was kind of the mecca of Christian music industry at the time. They had a large magazine called Cornerstone. They put on a big festival called Cornerstone Festival. So it was, like I said, it really was kind of like the mecca for everything that was kind of happening then. So I was kind of in, in the middle of all of that. Mm. So was that what made you first realize that you wanted to build a career in music or was something else the tipping point for that? Well, you know, um, I always liked jazz, and so I was never really interested in any sort of lyric whatsoever. And uh, then I heard a, a guy that I really liked, a guy named Steve Scott, really obscure artist in the CCM field. And he was writing very interesting existential stuff. And I was like, oh, I, I really like this. And one day while I was working, I was just, uh, I came up with a couplet. And I was like, wow, that was kind of good where did that come from and by the time I got home from work I had finished you know writing it and that kind of started me off where I started writing and I had uh, it was a very strange organization there you know it was kind of very similar to kind of like Jim Jones French Guiana except you know without the the final tragic act but um very very controlling and so I had to show everything that I, you know, that I was writing. And one day I wound up in the studio and uh, my lyrics were being played over the speakers. I'm like, well, what's up with that? You know, why, why do you have my lyrics here? And he says, well, you know, we just decided that we really like your writing. And so we're going to start using your stuff on, on our albums. So I was like, okay. I mean, I was kind of flattered at the same time, put off because no one ever asked me. And so they wound up using my stuff. So um, several, several albums of theirs. But I've just always wanted to do my own stuff, and they would not let me do my own stuff. And it was very, very frustrating because I was writing some really wonderful music, but there was uh, some political aspects of it, and they, again, just would not let me. And so finally, I wound up leaving there, and uh, I wound up moving to Nashville. Mm. Did they at least give you copyright on the songs that you contributed to? Yeah, uh, they did. And they gave me, you know, they credited me on the albums. You know, it was, it was doubly frustrating in the sense that, you know, they would take snippets of things that I wrote and then they would assign my name to it after they had rewritten some things. And I was like, and I didn't like how they had rewritten things. They really diluted a lot of stuff down. Because I, I tend to write from a Socratic perspective. I never really felt writing, comfortable writing Christian music, even though I was writing for a Christian label. I was uh, honestly... I was writing more atheist stuff at the time, and uh, that kind of led me to where I am now. I'm, I'm definitely, you know, not, not to get segue into that, but I've, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm very much a happy and proud atheist now. But it's strange, my writing style really hasn't changed because, um, yeah, I don't use some of those metaphors that I used to use, but I still, I still write from Socratic method, and I employ a lot of imagery, metaphors, epiphors, diaphors because I like that style rather than writing stories. I'm just, I'm not a big story person. I'm like, like I said, I'm more of like a, I'm more of a poetic writer, you know, and that, that's what I'm comfortable with. And that seems to be what people, people like. So that's, that's what I do. When Dorothy and I got together, we got married and started performing together. She's like, yeah, I don't want to do these dark existential things. I oh no. Yeah. I told them, I was like, we have, you have to write If I'm going to sing some of your um, music. It has to be uplifting and light and, you know, just a different vibe about it. And that's what I like about him, which he's he's got this really unique writing style. And um, 
when we came together, I didn't know what I wanted to do. I just liked to have fun. You know, when I was in high school, I played first clarinet and I don't have a musical background. So when we, we got together, I had this really, this moment where, what is it that I'm supposed to be doing? Mm -hmm. Because Jace was just so good at many things. I mean, he played upright bass. He's a telecommunications engineer. He's a, he loves Photoshop. He does all of these really cool things. So it's like, well, honey, I don't know what to do with myself. And I came home literally crying one day. It's like, I don't know what to do. And he looked at me. He said, well, just move. Just do something. And he introduced mm. me to your teacher at that time. Ron, Ron Brownie, who's, Ron is like the renowned vocal coach in <laughs> probably in the country right now. Yeah. Like, uh, we knew him when he was just struggling and he was just a good yeah. friend. And that was the best education for both of us yeah. in singing. I mean, because at the time I was just speaking to my jazz poetry thing and he's like, no, no, you got to sing. I'm like, no, I can't sing. I can't <laughs> sing. But he got me singing. And uh, I kind of regret that I don't do the jazz poetry stuff as much anymore, mm. but I like singing so much more. And anyway, so with the, with the song stuff, Dorothy's like, I don't want to do these existential themes. I want to do some fun stuff. So I have had to change a lot of my writing style in a sense of like of, of topics. So that's kind of where we got into doing what we do now, which is swing musical theater. Mm hmm and honestly, I don't know anybody who does anything what we do. I mean, I'm sure there is, but certainly not in Nashville. And uh, we do a lot of gigs. Um, this is singer-songwriter town. So mm -hmm. once these people get up and they have the guitar and they're singing, doing 4-4 time. And, you know, and we get up there with upright bass, our vocals, and sometimes Dorothy plays theremin. And we do our thing. And it's uh, people always stop and <laughs> listen to what we do. It's very unusual. A lot of times we'll uh, we'll play a lot of gigs it's with nice. just that right, what, bass, vocals, and mm -hmm. theremin. I mean, I have everything scored for big band, but uh, gigs for big bands are hard and uh, few and far between. Expensive. Yeah, they really are. <laughs> By the time you play your musicians and everything, we always got to play our guys. Yes, definitely. I mean, we have incredible musicians yeah, behind I mean, us. You got a plan. Well, you never try to move your hands. You got a dream that's rattling inside your head. You never shake the world up if you're just intent. It would take forever till the sun is cold and dead. Cold and dead. But your hopes are never realized You might be proud uh, But your actions never make a sound You're like a man who's dying of a slow disease Who won't cross the street to take a remedy You think somebody else will cure you Ladies and gents, like I said, 
They sound good. When it comes to putting on a show that will grab people's attention, Dorothy and Jace will share their approach in just a bit. The caliber of musicianship in Nashville is unparalleled. It really is. I mean, you can get anybody to play with you, you know, if you're if you're reasonably competent and you do interesting music. And so we, you know, we when we get out with the, you know, with a larger group, it's wonderful. It's a great experience, you know. And it fills out the, this was more fun when we had the big band than all the horn parts and all the other rhythm parts that I've written can kind of, are more fleshed out when we're just doing the upright bass vocals and theremin. It's more skeletal. I mean, the songs work in any context, but again, having, having that, all those voices in there really adds to it. Yeah, but we've been, we had to diversify in order to be able to um, get our music out into um, the different venues. Mm-hmm. And we had to give them options, which would be just the bass, upright, upright bass vocals and theremin. And then we go to like maybe a three or four piece. And then we go into a larger full scale band. Right. So, mm. so it's all about adapting and, mm-hmm. uh, We've also done other things. We uh, we did a TV show for about six years yeah. called uh, the Meet the Seaver Show, and I was come on the Meet Seaver. Join us for just a while. Oh, I'm not yeah, going to do that. <laughs> I loved that. Yeah, oh, it was fun. We had, I mean, we had an uh, animated intro we and a uh, lot of skits and music, crazy and, skits. Yeah, just crazy <laughs> stuff we did out of our house. Yes. And, uh, uh, we did that for about four or five years. It was mm-hmm. kind of like a 21st century Sunny and share, if you can imagine that. And uh, we stopped doing that last year, and we're actually right now in talks with a larger network to uh, get picked up for uh, syndication. So we'll we'll see how that happens. You know, obviously a lot of things are in flux right now, but oh, you're in talks right now. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Congratulations. That's exciting. Yeah. It is exciting. You know, nothing happens until it happens, but we're, you know, it's just nice to have a little sidebar of like, well, maybe that might happen, you know, and I've got a, a couple of songs that are looking oh, yeah. at getting picked up for some TV shows and stuff. So, you know, we'll see. That's um, excellent. Weaving yeah. together all those different sources of revenue. Right. I love it. So for those who have no idea what a 20th century version of Sunny and Cher means, could you explain that a little bit? Okay. Well, the easiest thing is just to get on Google and sun, Google Sunny and Share. But basically, Sunny and Share were a uh, a couple from uh, the late seventies, early late seventies. Um, they were they did what's called a variety show. Sunny Bono mm-hmm. uh, was the obviously the, the male husband, and his wife was Share. And you know they're a mixed race couple. She was Indian, he's white, Caucasian, whatever you want to call us. And it was a lot of you know a lot of comedy and skits. Costume changes. Um, yeah. yeah, costume, which we love. Costume That's, changes, yes. Half the time we play out is because we have a new costume we want, we want to wear. <laughs> you know? Especially me. Oh, yeah, yeah. I, it's it's so easy for her to find great costumes. Women, it's so easy. But for, for guys like me, it's really hard for me to find to find the clothes that I like to wear because nobody makes them. So sometimes I have to have them specially made. Or, But, yeah, I have a wardrobe that most men, particularly gay men, would just – We'd just be crying over because I, I have a wonderful wardrobe and I love, I love clothes. <laughs> yeah. And going back to Meet the Seavers TV show, we also interviewed, always interviewed someone within the community. It would be a oh, musician yeah. mm-hmm. or a personality. Um, so that was always fun. Yeah, it was. It was, And it was it, it was always great having these people on because they're just, uh, 
you know, you get them relaxed, you know, on set and it's like, Hey, you know, this is just, this is just our show. Just, just be yourself and have like an interview and I have to, I'd have to edit it down. That's the other thing I had to do. You know, it was, you know, filming, producing, writing, editing. I had to do kind of pretty much all of it. Um, oh, wow. Yeah. It was, it was a good learning experience. So I've, I've learned how to do all those things. You know, I can't say I'm in, you know, I'm a Spielberg by any such stretch of the imagination, but you know, I, I feel, you know, I think for what I, what we did, I feel very proud for what we did. It's, it's like I said, it's very homegrown, but it was unique and it was fun. Definitely. We still have people coming up to say, hey, I saw your show the other day. I'm like, it's still on. Like, oh yeah, it's still on. Cause it was like in uh, the Nashville market. And I think we we're picked up in about 22 other cities around mm-hmm. the country. So mm-hmm. every now and then it'd be like, Hey, you know, yeah. when are you doing another show? Yeah. So has that helped you grow the audience for your music performances around and outside of Nashville? A little bit, not as much as I hoped. I mean, uh, I was hoping that uh, it would lead to bigger and better gigs. But uh, I think the fact that, you know, cable, it was, it was on a cable show. So, and of course, you know, the dynamics of that has changed where everybody's going to streaming nowadays. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that kind of, that's kind of one of the other reasons why we kind of stopped doing because it, it was like, ah, the audience share was shrinking. And I don't know. And the thing is, uh, you know, what we do is very unique and very niche marketing. So it's, uh, you know, people are like, you're going to do what? You're going you're to you're play this type of stuff and you're going to, with that instrumentation? Oh, I don't, I don't know. I don't know. Well, once we get up there and do it, it's great. You know, again, it's uh, people stop what they're doing and they listen. And that's a strange thing about Nashville. You have these singer-songwriter nights and it's always guitar and singing and um you know, you go to most writers' nights, people really listen to for about maybe 10 seconds of the new writer to see if they have anything to say, and then the noise gets, the room gets noisy. When we play, the room gets quiet, and it stays quiet. And it's 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 a great feeling, but it's also kind of frustrating. You're just like, hey, you know, we're, we're doing this thing, we're bringing it. Why don't, why doesn't, why don't, can't we, this lead to bigger and better things? And a lot of it just comes down to money nowadays. It really is. I mean, it's, um, there's so much money that's involved in you know, launching your act and everything. And you could, you can do a lot of the social media stuff, but it's very time consuming. And I think the fact that because everybody is doing it, it's impact is not as much as you would expect. Um, mm-hmm. that, and the, that and the fact that, you know, I mean, you know, the, the industry has changed people. Music is, well, I always think I always think of this as like, you know, you go back 100, 150 years ago and say you like Mozart or Beethoven. How many times in your life would you get to hear something of that? How many times would you get to hear, you know, Beethoven's fifth or something? Maybe once or twice in your life? So it was a very, you know, wonderful, different, mystical experience when you got to hear that versus nowadays music is so prevalent. It's like a fan going off in the room. And Honestly, for myself, I find myself going to places where there's not music playing because I want to escape it. I just I want to be alone with my thoughts. And when I want music, I, I, I want to be able to turn it on, on and off on my own behalf. Mm. So our culture has changed. In, in a way, you know, the iPod and streaming has destroyed our, our ability to listen and to see the specialness of, of music. And music is a very special, spiritual, personal thing. And adding on to that, it is a personal and spiritual thing. But I believe with the two of us, because we are like, I believe we're spiritual partners. And it's so amazing for me to be able to be on stage 
and look over there at my husband and he is just, he just cracks me up when we're up on stage. And I think people also sense the realness of what we're doing because we truly do love each other and we have yeah. so much fun. And I would have never thought that I would be doing the things that I am right now with my husband. I can look over here at him. It's like, wow, we're singing out and we're having fun. I mean, when I met him, of course, we met on Match.com. That's a whole other story there. Uh, <laughs> Match.com. We were both rejected by eHarmony. <laughs> they couldn't find either one of us a match. Yeah, <laughs> no. But I would not have imagined doing the things that I am right now because when we first met and found each other, I was like, oh my goodness, this is amazing. But it, 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 it continues to be amazing each time we do things, like we did the TV show, and then we get to sing out. And it's just... Our relationship has it's, it's just has built so much from just being on stage, and mm -hmm. and when he makes a mistake and I make a mistake, and we look at each other, you mess up that song. It's like no, I did. You know, <laughs> so we have these conversations <laughs> after yeah. it's over, but it's always good. And I think that's people do feel that realness when we perform. It's like those two, they love each other. It's coming through their music, and we're able to take the audience on a journey, so to speak, because we bring the costume we bring we, we make the song come alive because you've got some good lighting honey but as you can tell i'm like the more of a the crazier one like way out there have fun and and jace is kind of reserved you know but but i believe people do feel that in our music when we perform i do right mm -hmm. i think the fact too that because we're an interracial couple i'm, I'm white and my uh you're not you're totally <laughs> 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 um, my wife is uh, a lovely shade of cocoa, and uh, I think a lot of times, you know, people see an interracial couple, and honestly, I think people breathe a sigh of relief. They're like, oh, they just love each other, and race and everything has absolutely nothing to do with it. Yeah, and it's like, love. duh, you know, and we just, you know, people, people like that. You know mm -hmm. that you can that you don't have to wear this thing on your sleeve mm -hmm. that oh I'm this and I'm that. It's like you just you, you're yourself and you love the other person for who they are. And that's exactly. And that's right. yeah, that's definitely what we do. I love my wife to death, mm. and uh, she's also oh, I have to I have to brag on her. Besides being a wonderful singer, a larger than life personality, Dorothy is also a uh, this is five seven time oh my gosh I don't know five seven time award winning bikini bodybuilder. Also a model. Yeah. So she's, I won the lottery with Dorothy. I really did. She's just, <laughs> besides, she's just a great, wonderful person. <laughs> it sounds like you guys have found a way to bring together complementary skills and sources of revenue so that you can have a life that is centered around music, but that makes you happy without music being the end all be all source of lifeblood income. Yes. I mean, we, we make a little bit of money on music, not a lot. I mean, my day job is I'm a, I'm a telecommunications engineer. Obviously, Dorothy does modeling and brand ambassador, which that's been you know impacted with the current crisis. You know, um, for myself, I'm considered essential engineer, essential, so I still go to work. But yeah, I mean, uh, I mean, I would love to do music full time like most people. But, you know, I like to say, I mean, we're both 58 years old and you have to you learn to adapt as you go through life, mm -hmm. you especially have to learn to adapt with music. You know, I, I realized just last week that I'm not going to be a teen pop sensation. Oh I my mean, goodness. You know, <laughs> <laughs> uh, that came such a surprise at 58. Um, 
Yeah, but I mean, we you have to adapt. You have to do things, and uh, you, you learn. You know, for me, and Dorothy really helps me out with this. Is that uh, you can go through life changing and adapting and being happy, or you can go through life um, trying to do the same thing over and over and getting bitter about it, and you know, commiserating and getting frustration when you see other people that are less talented or less able and have money or whatever, you know, and you see them and you're like, oh, this is just crazy. You know, why isn't this happening for me? And you can get consumed by that. Yes. And it's sometimes it, it sometimes it definitely does get to me. But so how do you move through that? Uh, well, I have Dorothy for one. She definitely is my, uh, my foundation. And uh, I don't know, you just, you just realize like, you know, I, I have a choice here. I have a choice here to be mm-hmm. angry and bitter, or I have a choice here to, to make do, you know, um, not fantasize about the life that uh, would have been or could have been, but do with my life as it is now and work with it from that perspective, you know, and that is, you know. And like you told me, you have to keep moving. Yeah. You have to keep moving. Don't think about, you know, you really just got to not compare yourself to other people. And you had somebody on your podcast uh, that I listened to and he said the most wonderful bit of advice I think I've ever heard regarding music and he said you know you look at the gigs and he says what one person disdains is another person's goal and Mm -hmm. i thought wow that is so true Mm -hmm. that is so true and that that helps a lot because you just think okay well this is this is where i am right now this is where my goal is right now and if i can't get that goal then well let's look at another goal what am i i'm not going to stop writing i'm not going to stop playing i'm not going to stop performing so I can either do that from a healthy perspective mm-hmm. or I can do that from an angry, bitter perspective. And that's going to come across and no one's going to want to hear that. Exactly. You know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that's an important point that you make because at the end of the day, if you're not enjoying the process, it will come through in your music and in your performance and the audience will pick up on that and mm-hmm. you lose them the minute that happens. That's, a, that's absolutely true. We are very perceptive creatures. And uh, you can tell when, when someone's not there, not giving you, not enjoying what they're doing, then how can you, how can you, how can you expect anybody to enjoy it if you're not enjoying it? Mm. So. I couldn't have said it better myself. So circling back to what you guys have talked about when you're performing and drawing in the audience and how when you're doing a show, you can really pull in people's attention in ways that the audience themselves are not expecting. Mm-hmm. I would love to for you guys to unpack what showmanship looks like for you. How do you put together that show and how do you practice that? Because I found it's so elusive. You want to answer start that one, Dorothy? Okay, I'll Dorothy's pointing at me. <laughs> Um, I can barely. Um, well, for one, obviously, you have to know your songs, and you have to be uh, able to do them kind of subconsciously. Um, so, and that allows you to free your mind up to look around at your audience, look around at the person you're playing with, um, gauge what what they're interested in, you know, and what holds their attention. Um, I'm trying to think. Well, like the way that you guys use costumes. Oh, yeah. 
or even just the contrast of the different setups of the band that you can work with, how do those things affect the audience? Well, we have to, I think we go for the perspective of trying to be over the top um, mm-hmm. with our clothing. And also, we, you know, we're very theatrical on stage, you know, I'll do some vocal thirst flourishes and stuff. Um, Dorothy definitely does some things, you know, singing and dancing and co- sometimes costume changes actually in the middle of the song. Or just exercising in the middle of the Yeah. <laughs> start just I do some push ups. It's like, come on, everyone, let's get down. We're going to do some push ups. Of course, no one ever joins in with me, you know, but it's I can't okay. Keep up. I can't keep up. Yeah, but we also do, um, you have to pay attention to the venues that you perform at because different, we try to get some history on that venue, uh, what their clientele is mm-hmm. like. Um, Depending on, you know, if it's a 45-minute set or two 45-minute sets, we always, you know, strip everything out. You know, we write it out like what songs we're going to perform. And you have to get off of that paper because if you don't, you know, we don't perform with paper, but I've seen people do it. you got to come off that paper so you can project to the audience. Yeah, don't ever have that paper or that sing off your iPod or your phone. I mean, that's just crazy. But you have to tell her what you do, you know, too. Like when we play atheist conventions, we've done a few of those. We would tailor our songs Mm -hmm. towards that aspect. Um, One of the things we've looked at doing and have had other people suggest that we do was actually called a review. And that kind of harkens back to the old um, vaudeville days Mm -hmm. where they would do a song and they would have set patterns. So it's almost like a play. Um, So you know what you're going to say in between each song, you know, what jokes you're going to tell and stuff like that. And so we kind of tried we kind of looked at doing that but the the fact is when we get up in place very spontaneous mm-hmm. morrison we usually don't really need that because we just we just have a lot of rapport between each other you know and you look at the audience you look what they're interested in and uh you just kind of you kind of have to have your radar up to see what people are are out there doing but again but being theatrical my mindset is really is, is really basic it's i want to be wild when I listen to music, when I see a show, I want to be wild. I want to like that. I want to have the experience that I have when I, when I go see somebody out. I want them to say, oh, that was great. I really enjoyed that. For myself as a listener, that's what I want. And so I want to do that mm-hmm. for the audience. I want to, to um, definitely present something that's unique and fun and memorable where people say, wow, that was I've never heard or seen anything like that before. I remember that. I remember this group, you know. Mm. And it doesn't matter if it's, you know, three or four people in the audience or if it's a full audience. We bring it like 100% and more every single time. Yep. It doesn't you matter the size to. of the audience because you never know who's in your audience. Um, yep. We've definitely had some surprises by people in the audience. And I mean, one of the reasons why we, you know, in talks with a, uh, um, you know, with, with the larger networks because they, they've seen some of our shows and they're like, you know, hey, we this is really unique and really fun. We believe in you guys. So, um, I don't know. But again, you know, growing up, music was always a very unique set aside from the rest of the world experience. And performing, has, that's always in my mind. I want to do that. I don't want to just get up there and just stand there and sing some songs. That's boring. You get up there, move around, interact with the audience, mm-hmm. uh, play things that are like really different. And you know, sometimes you got to explain a little bit, but definitely what you do, you have to do 
when you introduce a song, you have to introduce the title of it slowly. <laughs> if people just, <laughs> song is blah, 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 and people are like what? You know, because you know, so you introduce the name of the song, maybe give a one or two sentence synopsis of what the song is about, maybe, um, and then launch into it. You don't have to go into some big diatribe of you know, this is an epic of Gilgamesh, blah 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 blah. Just give them a little bit of clue. You know, um, and we, we have to do that. I mean, for us, because we do 99% of our music is original. Um, we do some covers, like we'll do like a cover of Fiddler on a Roof or some stuff from Damn Yankees, but most of it is original. So um, when you do covers, that gives people a, a hinging point, you know, that they can kind of go back to safely and like, oh, I recognize that. Okay, then you go your original, your original stuff. Well, we're almost all original. So we know that. If we're going to do all original stuff, it has to be, every song has to be something that's going to grab the audience. No fillers. Yep. Mm. It's just like you said, it's about like um, um, recognizing your audience. Um, for instance, we, on our street here, because of the bar is the mm -hmm. thing that's happening here. They oh, have, yeah. what was it, porch? Um, concert on the porch. Yes. Which is really cool. And we set up everything on our front porch. Right. And gave a concert for our neighbors here. And um, and in the middle of that, one of the great things I, that came out of it was we asked our neighbors, how long have you lived here? Because this virus has brought some really wonderful things out. You know, as bad as it is, there's a lot of good things about it that's happening. And when we did that concert, we were able to really find out how long all of the neighbors had been on the street. And I thought that was like a mm -hmm. really bright spot. Yeah. You know, and I was, I was a little hesitant to do it because, I mean, we live in East Nashville, very artistic area. And on Facebook, we say, hey, let's all let's do a, everybody do a cause concert at six o'clock. Mm -hmm. And so I was like, well, I'd like to do that, but I don't want to impose myself on other people. I don't want to be like another oh, captive audience. They can't get away from me because I'm here in this neighborhood and the noise is everywhere. <laughs> I didn't want to, you know, um, but after we got done, you know, from a distance, people social distancing, social distancing yes. um, I was shocked at the amount of people who said, Hey, that was really great. Thank you so much mm -hmm. for doing that. And I was like, okay, good. I, I did something good. And uh, of course, you know, we had fun doing it and everything. And then it was funny. Like last night, then uh, a guy from across the Straight way from out. us, uh, brought out his, uh, his rig and started doing um, electronic music for about an hour or two. So it was fun. And this, I think every Saturday, every Saturday at six, um, the neighborhood is doing that. So we're going to give other people a chance this week and we're going to walk around the neighborhood and see other people, you know? Oh, I love that. Yeah. It's a really cool neighborhood. Um, you know, it's uh we love here. We've been living in Nashville. I lived, we both lived in Nashville for about 30 years now. We lived here on, on the east side for about 20. Um, and uh, it's uh, you hear about a lot on the news. And uh, um, it's a cool place. East Nashville is a little different from the rest of the rest of the town because, you know, you have the honky tonks and everything downtown, which uh, nobody who lives in Nashville goes down here because it's crazy. It's all tourists. You know. Well, there's no one there now. Yeah, well, there's definitely no one there now. Yeah. <laughs> um, but the east side is, is a much more um, artistic area. Um, and it's, uh, it's, it's a cool little place. Yeah. We really feel fortunate to be living in the community that we're in.
We've made it about halfway through the show, and we're going to have a quick pause. Ads are irritating distractions, so they'll never be a part of the Musicians Can Thrive podcast. Thank you for listening. So make sure you get new episodes as soon as I release them. Subscribe wherever you like to listen to podcasts. I'm so glad I get the honor of sharing these musicians' stories, and it would mean a lot if you would be willing to help me share them. Spotify has this awesome feature where you can share podcast episodes directly to Instagram stories. So if you're willing, tell your followers about your favorite episode. Last thing. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, leaving a quick review helps other musicians learn about Musicians Can Thrive. I appreciate your support. Back to the show. What are some of your favorite parts of the music community in Nashville? It's a good camaraderie. It really is. I mean, because there's so many people doing it and everyone has learned that, hey, you know, uh, the person you're talking to in line at the, at the breakfast place today may be some mm-hmm. person you have no idea on how good they are yeah. or just how well connected they are. And everybody here in, in this town, there's so many musicians. Yes. Um, um, that's their passion. Um, and I don't know, there's just a lot of commonality that goes with it. Um, it's, like, it's like a big family in a lot of ways. You may not like their music, it may be something totally different, but um, they, have, they have passion for it. And it's pure, it's a pure passion. They yeah. some of the, like you said, some of the best musicians there are here in Nashville. Because whenever you start, you want to play, uh, when you write your songs, you say, oh, I need a good trombone player. Or I need da da da. You know, yeah. you, you have no trouble finding musicians at all. Yeah, I mean, I had, it was, we, uh, I got, we got a call one day from a, a guy that saw us like at the Frist, the Frist Art Center we played there. And um, he actually said, we, we play at our, at our wedding, at our reception. I'm like, mm-hmm. Really? I'm like, you want us to play at your wedding receptions? You know what we do? And he's like, yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and he, he plays with the, the symphony. He's yeah. like violinist with the symphony. And I was like, really? You, I mean, you're so much better musician than I am. But, you know, I mean, okay. So we did our thing. And um, I, I called him up one day. I said, hey, you know, I'm, I'm writing this song. Uh, uh, I was writing this, this weird little musical thing called the... the um, the Toy Maker of Hades. Um, it's like this weird, little, weird Christmas song, um, kind of like a Tim Burton type of Christmas song. And I'm like, you know, I scored this and everything, but I really think it needs some. It needs a symphonic arrangement. Can you can you give me? Would you mind giving me a hand? He's like, oh yeah, absolutely. So I mean, I brought the score over to him, and we, uh, mm-hmm. you know, we we filed a, a finale, and uh, within 30 seconds, he says, oh, let's write this first for the beginning. I mean, and just a few keystrokes and you had this amazing flourish. I was like, Oh my gosh, I, in t- 10 years, I couldn't write that. <laughs> and in the process of writing this thing with him, I'm just, I'm just slack jawed at how proficient, how wonderful he is. And I finally turned to him. His name was Benjamin Lloyd. And, um, I said, Ben, I said, um, you know, we never talked about this. I said, uh, but how much do I owe you for this, for this score? And he looked at me, he says, you can't afford me, <laughs> you know? And I'm like, that's probably true. He says, don't worry about it. He says, I like your music and I believe in your stuff. So let's just do it. So, I mean, it's just the things like that. You just never know, you know, what a beautiful story. I really love when musicians can come together and support each other and make great music together because 
yes, we all want to get paid, but sometimes when you're in a position where you can be generous to someone else, I think it's one of the most powerful, inspiring parts of music. I agree. Um, a lot of times we feel like we're connectors. You know, people will come to us. Uh, they're like, hey, I'm looking for this person. I'm like, oh, I know this guy. You know, why don't you use this guy? I mean, I, I was at a, a, a seminar the other day and a guy was saying, hey, you know, um, um, he says, I've been looking for these singers that can sing this high tenor stuff um, for this project I'm putting together and I can't find anybody. And I went up to him afterwards and I gave him like two, three names. I'm like, these, I know these people here, give them a call. You know, good friends of mine that sing that type of stuff. He's like, wow, that's really cool. You know, you just, it makes you feel good. Also, it, it just, it endears you into that community. You're like, oh, wow, there's this real person who's offering me this with no strings attached, just out of, because, hey, I know this guy, call him. I know this, do this. You know, and it works along, it works great along those ways. And I think that that's just as, that's probably as much an important part of networking as going to the singer songwriter things and, and, and listening to people. Because honestly, most the singer songwriter things, you get these guys up there and everybody is just up there in, into doing their own thing, you know, and like, oh, listen to me, look at me, look at me. And when they're done, they're done, you know. Um, and that doesn't work for a lot of you. What works better, you get up there and play and you interact with the people mm -hmm. that you're up, that you're at with, you know, and uh, get to know them and say, hey, you need this? I can help you with this, yeah. you know. Um, because when they like you and you have something in common and you take the time to really get to know that person, they're more likely to say, hey, let's, let's call Jace. I really liked him. He made me feel good. And it's about being human, about being uh, a real person rather than uh, everyone can be in that really business environment where I'm trying to get ahead. I don't have time for you, but that's not how you're going to really connect with people. And it's all about having an authentic relationship with each other. Right. Most of the time, music has nothing to do with it. That's just an extraneous aspect of it. It's more of just day-to-day -day life, you know, who are mm -hmm. you as a person? Just getting to be friends with people mm -hmm. rather than I'm getting to be friends with you because, because. That way I have an in with you and blah, 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 you know? Um. Yeah. I think there's definitely something to be said for embracing the human aspect of mm -hmm. networking because if you, I guess you just, you, you need that exchange whether it's energy whether it's time whether it's a musical contribution when you help others like you said they're more likely to give you a call when they need help with exactly. something mm -hmm. and that can open the door to different opportunities where you could mm -hmm. make money off of the music mm -hmm. yeah and if not you made a great friend exactly yeah mm -hmm. most definitely well I'm trying to think. Jace, would you like to talk about your experience with getting some of your songs synced at all? Well, I have not had a lot of, uh, you know, tangible success with it yet. I will say, though, um, you talk about friendships. So we played at the Smoky Mountain Songwriters Festival, not, not last year because that individual passed away, but the year before. 
and just talking with people. You made some, I made some good contacts and I'm, you know, I, I'll talk to anybody. And a lot of times I don't know who they are. If I knew who they were, I'd probably be a little more timid. <laughs> but um, I, I met a guy and uh, he's just really nice. I sat down and had breakfast with him, talking with him. And I remembered his name. And I just said, hey, you know, we live in the neighborhood. Let's let's get together and smoke some cigars and hang out because we both love cigars. Yeah. And um, so we got together one day and uh, he told me about this thing called uh, Undiscovered Music. And I had done some stuff, you know, trying to get stuff with Taxi. Um, you know, I'm always trying to, you know, my stuff is very unusual. So it's like I said, very niche, but I, I think it's very suited to music and, and film. I'm saying music, TV and film. But um so I tried taxi and I'm not really had a whole lot of good success with that. But he says, have you tried this uh, sync thing called uh, undiscovered music? And I was like, no, I'm sorry. Music supervisor. Undiscovered music is another great link. We'll talk about that in a second. That's a great link. You, you, people listen to this podcast. You definitely know about that. But um, music supervisor, I think .net. And I think you had to be referred. Uh, I'm not certain. Maybe you don't. But he said, hey, here's what you do. You, you, I'll, I'll refer you, and then you, you, you put your, upload your songs, and you put all the meta information on it, you know, the lyrics, where you recorded it at, who produced it, who arranged it, what percentage of song you have, who's licensed through, and you just put it up there. They take 50%, which is a lot. But, you know, if you're not getting anything happening, 50% is, is still pretty good. I'm like, well, heck, man, I'm not having a lot of great success. So I put stuff up there. I have probably about 20 or 30 songs that I put up there. Um, and you have to put wave files because it's definitely stuff that they want to just immediately use. And uh, I'll get things like, you know, three, four times a week. Hey, they've listened to these 10 songs. You know, these people have listened to your songs looking for this type of music and everything. So people are definitely listening to it. You know, it's not so much as a gatekeeper as like with the taxi thing. It's more of just like these, you know, people that are in film or music, they go to the database of like, yeah, I'm looking for a song that's got this type of thing. And, you, you know, the more information you fill them, you fill out um, sounds like, you know, uh, this genre, blah, blah, blah. And that way it filters it to get them closer to what they want. So you have a lot better success rate. That's why I've, you know, I've gotten a couple, couple things on hold because of that. And I've only been doing that since January. So that's a, that's a great resource. Again, it's called musicsupervisor.net. The other one I can tell you about, which is just kind of infantry, and the same individual told me about this called um, Undiscovered Music. That's a great database. And what that is, you join that, and uh, it lists all these venues around the country. Every time that somebody has a gig, they fill up the data of where it is, what type of venue, who the contact is, what their email address is, what their website is, sometimes even what their phone number is, what nights of the week they have music, you know, what type of music they have. And so when you want to, like, say, if you want to play a gig in Arizona, you click on Arizona and say, oh, I want to play these type of venues and this type of dates, and displays a map. And you click on that, and it shows, okay, Bob's Bar, this venue, this concert hall, all these things. So it saves you a lot of trouble instead of having to just, like, go through Google and, like, places to play in Arizona or wherever, you know, and as more people join it, there's more information that people put on it, put more venues. And it also, another nice thing about it is who's played there. So you look at who's played there and you go to them and you look, what are the other places that they played? 
Like, oh, okay. So it saves you a lot of times. I'm surprised that no one has ever came up with this before. It's such a, a really great influ- uh, resource called uh, Undiscovered Music. That sounds like an incredible tool. It would take out so much of the heavy lifting of booking shows, planning a tour, or even just booking shows in your local area. That's amazing. Yeah, then do a lot. Of, they have house concerts on their list and everything. Pretty really? Much, yeah. Yeah, oh. you can kind of you filter through all these different things when you want a bar, a club, a church, a, you know, a listening room, a, you know, anything. You know, you just you filter all through. And you get, you know, like I said, it's, it's, it's in the infancy. It's going to grow. And the more it grows, the better it is because that's more information for you to have. Like, you know. That's amazing. Mm-hmm. Wow. That would have made my life a million times easier <laughs> when I was trying to plan my tour like two years ago. Oh, my God. Like, it wasn't a big effort, but I wanted to do a little bit of a tour while I was promoting my EP and Mm-hmm. going up the west coast anyways and it just it it really fell flat partly because i didn't i was sidetracked with another project but if i had known about undiscovered music it would have been a very different story mm-hmm. i'll tell you that yeah wow uh, i think they have two different packages there's a free package and then there's like one where you can be like a premier member and it's, it's like it's like maybe 90 dollars for a year you know to do that you know, truthfully, I don't know if it makes that big of a difference whether you're a pro or whatever, whether it's the premiere thing or not. Uh, but it's nice to know that you can you can support them, which is good in that way because it's a great resource. Mm-hmm. Uh, Definitely something. something worth investing in if mm-hmm. you can afford it. Yeah. Wow. Well, thank you for sharing that. Absolutely. I know a lot of people listening who are going to be very glad to have gotten that little tip. Yep. Well, make sure they put those gigs in there because, as I said, it'll, it'll grow the network for everybody. Absolutely. Yep. A rising tide that lifts all ships. Mm-hmm. Is there anything else that we haven't talked about that either you or Dorothy would like a musician to keep in mind as they wade through the struggles of making money? Well, you know, we're in Nashville. And uh, so I, I resolve that I will not be negative about this at all, but I, I do want to just give good advice. And that is, you know, we're Nashville. Nashville is the, you know, the center of the universe in America, well, center of America for music. Country music. Country, yeah, country, mostly country music, singer, songwriter stuff. It's a great, it's a great community, but there's, I mean, we always say no one would starve if they could eat their guitars in Nashville because that's, I mean, that's just everybody plays. You've had, you know, I've listened to a lot of your podcasts, and I love your podcasts, by the way. They're very, they're, they're well done. Thank um, you so much. You know, and they're realistic, you know, and you're not hawking this thing of, do this program, buy this, do this, blah, 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 eat this pill, wear plaid the 23rd Sunday after Pentecost, and everything will be fine. You're realistic. So in that realm of realism, everybody moves to Nashville. A lot of, have different, a lot of different reasons why. But honestly, Nashville is a horrible place for gigs. It really is. Um, it's changed. Like I said, I've lived here for 30 years. It used to be there were a lot more clubs. It used to be a lot more, a uh, lot more great music that was going on. Most of those clubs have changed, have closed. Um, they've gone more to sports bars or karaoke or whatever. Um, so like the, the gigs for to try to get, like if you got a band and you want to try to play, there's very few places for you to play in Nashville that's going to, it's going to take you long unless you've got 
a really good track record. So pretty much everybody's in the same boat. Everybody's kind of struggling. There's a lot of singer-songwriter nights, but even then, sometimes the singer-songwriter nights, it's three months to, to sign up for it before you get to play. It's mm -hmm. crazy. It depends on, you know, the ones it is. Um, but so my advice is really stay where you are. There's absolutely no reason, unless you know somebody or have a lot of money that you want to throw out, there's no reason to move to Nashville. There's really not. If you're playing, if you're gigging, there's absolutely no reason why you have to give that up to come to uh, a bigger area because truthfully, you'll have less gigs. You'll be, uh, you know, there's, there's definitely something to be said for being a, a big fish in a small pond. And I think a lot of people would just be happier if they, if they realized that. And I think it would help their music and, you know, you want to break your heart and come to Nashville because there's a good chance that that'll probably happen. You'll get your heart broken and, and your money and your wallet emptied. If, if they do decide to come to Nashville, make sure you have a backup plan yeah. to the backup plan, to the backup plan, mm -hmm. to that backup plan. Yeah. Yeah. Cause you're going to be, uh, you know, if you want to just get up and write with people, there's, yeah. I mean, you can do that all day long. You can do co-writing all the day long with people. Um, if that's what you just want to do, well then, yeah, you, 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 this is a great spot for that. But if you're trying to do something like to like, I'm going to advance my career. Well, you know, if you're a good songwriter, your music is going to get out there and you can put your music out there so many different ways, you know, mm -hmm. it doesn't have to be through this face to face thing that you're hoping that, Oh, I hope I meet this person, blah, blah, blah. This, you know, you, you probably won't anyways, but again, you know, Grow where you are planted is the saying, and um, or bloom where you're planted. I can't remember the metaphor. That works. Yeah. yeah, I did a songwriter thing at uh, Nashville Rising Song, which the guy Keith Moore runs here in, in town. He's doing it for about oh, that's really good five ten years, I think. That's really great. That's mm -hmm. a great little venue. It is. Um, everybody, uh, he you have 21 people sign up, and everybody sings one song. And then uh, there's two, two types of awards. One is like for the social media, whoever gets the most likes through social media. Mm -hmm. And the second is through, they have an industry, three industry professionals mm -hmm. and they'll judge. So they'll have two winners and then they'll do a runoff and everything. And then they'll have that. That's really fun. But um, I can't remember where I was going off on that. <laughs> I think you made yeah. your point. Yeah. Blue where you're planted. Yeah, that's that's a great thing. Oh, I know. And I was uh, speaking with a girl. Um, she's really talented, really nice, had a nice voice. I liked her music. She's from Wisconsin. And I'm from Wisconsin. I'm from Wisconsin, as we say. And, uh, <laughs> I was uh, I was talking with her afterwards. She's like, you know, I'm, I'm thinking about moving here. But she says, I have a lot of gigs in Wisconsin. And I'm like, why would you move? Why would you move? If you're doing if you're doing fine there, just stay there. You'll be so much happier. You mm -hmm. know? So, well, thank you. That's incredibly valuable advice, and not the first time someone has said, "Stay where you are at." Mm -hmm. So, thank you for help to helping to drive that point home. Absolutely. Well, where is the best place for listeners to find your music online? I do have like a couple albums that are on Spotify, as Meet the Seavers or Jay Seavers. Uh, but not our, our newer stuff. So I got to figure that out. So basically right now, if you want to see what Me The Savers is all about, go to our website, which is www.meetthesavers, all one word. Savers is spelled S-E-A-V as in Victor, E-R-S dot com. 
That name again is Meet the Seavers <laughs> at, oh no, I'm sorry, www.meettheseavers.com. And uh, so we have, you know, we have some videos on there, uh, lots of fun pictures, you know, some stuff about some upcoming gigs and stuff, your basic web page and stuff. You get to see how lovely my wife Dorothy is on well, I love how you made sure that people definitely remember that website address. So thank you. That was <laughs> fantastic. Thank you. You're welcome. Well, thank you again so much. I'm so glad that I do get to tell this story. There's something to be said for just showing up and creating quality music. Showing up and giving people a great show that they'll remember and share with their friends the next day. Showing up and giving us a taste of what, not like anything else, can sound like. It takes courage to do that. It's hard for me to choose today what that one thing to take away is. There are so many ideas to try out the next time we put on a show, whether in person or through streaming. Jace's perspective on networking is valuable, too. So I think that's what I'm going to end with today. One of the things that helped me start this podcast in the first place was finding the others. The people who think like us. The people who are generous and kind. The ones who go, hey, I think this might be helpful to you. The ones who help you recognize when you can do better without making you feel small in the process. Finding the people who don't hesitate to introduce you to someone they think that you could help. Those people, in my experience, are the ones you most want to be aligned with. Yes, it's the age of the DIY musician, but without friends to collaborate with, to help you with artwork, music videos, recordings, and show promotion, just to name a few of the things we all have to juggle as independent artists. Without the others, you might feel like just another small fish lost in that pond. So find those generous people. Be one of them. And together, we can navigate the changing music industry like the tides of the sea. And we can make a world where musicians can thrive. <laughs>